0: Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Jonah chapter 3 we are in. I'm going to read the verses that I will preach through. Jonah chapter 3 verse 6. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, and they turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do them, and he did not do it. So let me just show show you, show us where we're at. So Jonah was a bad preacher and prophet. He thought he was a good guy who didn't like really bad people in Nineveh. Sounds like Miami Christians, right? We don't like those Miami people. They're just so messy, right? And so God, he didn't get the gospel that he was preaching. So God's like, all right, I'm going to throw you off the boat, drown you, bury you, and raise you again, and you will get the gospel, and you will know that you need grace. So after Jonah gets vomited, which we said pictures the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection in Christ, he then preaches a ministry that is very different in chapter three than he was trying to do in chapter one, correct? So Jonah's revived in the gospel, and he then preaches the gospel in a God-centered way. And so now what, where we're at now is what happens to people when the gospel is truly being preached and received? What does it look like? It looks like these verses. I think that's a question. Like what, what, what do we think it looks like to be revived in the gospel? Some may say, I think it's just a lot of people filing in buildings and raising their hands, and that's what I think gospel revival is. Or some may think, I think gospel revival is just the church is getting really busy and doing lots of things and attending lots of things. That's kind of like what I think gospel revival looks like. Or some of you may say, I think gospel revival, probably not in this church, but in Miami, I think gospel revival looks like people falling on the floor and speaking in tongues in something like that. Like just a bunch of people popping out of real church. Revival. All of us may say, I think revival looks like just we get our, our theology gets better. So some of you think you're reviving the gospel because now you call yourself a Calvinist. So you think, man, the gospel's really hitting me because I believe in predestination. And I would say that you might be confused that you're being gospel revived just because you have new categories, okay? There's a lot of people that have those categories and don't even get what those things truly mean. It just makes them a bunch of pugnacious, argumentative, heady people that now know some things that are true in the Bible that they didn't know before. Or some of us may think, I think revival is us being really worldly and, and putting a Jesus sticker on it, right? There's a lot of that in this city too. Why, why is the gospel moving here? Because man, we just don't care about anything. We're, we're so secure in Jesus that we are worldly and it's so cool. These are some ways that I think we could... Try to define revival, but but I think these people in these verses give us a real clear picture of what revival is. You ready? Are you being revived in the gospel, church? Are you ready? First thing. First thing. It looks like faith upward, not inward. Faith upward, not inward. The men of Nineveh believed in God. (laughs) I don't know about y'all, but that is a really pregnant statement. They believe in God, not in anything else. Let me give you a picture that may be helpful. Um, I tried to learn how to cook by getting instructions of how to cook. And I would regularly get the instructions, and I would try to trust the instructions to figure out how to cook. And I could never it never came out the way the instructions said. Have you guys, has that happened to some of you guys? <laughs> but then... Santi came into my life. And I saw somebody cooking. And in seeing somebody, I got something that I could not get from a list of how to cook. And I'm not saying I cook like Santi, but having a someone to look to was how I understood the reality, not having a list. And so this is what basically is going on in Nineveh. They're saying they did not believe in the will of man or the decision, but they believed in God. They didn't believe in principles and morality that should be done or even a life change that should happen. It says they believed in God. You see? Didn't say that they believed in the need to believe in religious things, church things, or anything like that. They didn't believe in themselves or believe in belief. This says they believed in God. Nothing else. And, beloved, if you, if we are getting the gospel we are going to sound like that. We're going to be like, I don't trust my character anymore. I trust Jesus' credited character. I don't trust in my life no more. I trust in the life of Christ. I don't trust in the way I was raised, my family background. I trust in the Father, Son, and Spirit. I trust God. I don't trust in my experience, my reason, and intellect anymore. I trust in the promises of God in Christ based upon what Christ experienced. I believe in God. I don't trust in my good works anymore. I trust in the works of God in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. I don't trust my image anymore. I trust Christ's image. I don't trust sex power, and alcohol anymore. I trust the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus. I believe in God. No longer believe in things. I don't trust my parenting and my positions. I trust in Jesus, my high priest. We are being revived in the gospel because we say, I believe in God. Not I believe in me for God or me and me believing God, but God himself. It looks like faith upward, not inward. Second thing that I see here when we're being revived in the gospel is a wonderful catastrophe, not predictability. A wonderful catastrophe, not predictability. The men in Nineveh believed in God, and they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them, To the least, so basically, this is a Middle Eastern way of having a funeral. So these are these are things that are basically like things that people do in a funeral. Now my question is, no one's dead. Why are they acting like there's a funeral? Because what they're basically saying is that life in Nineveh as it is is over. It's done. It is finished. It is a catastrophe. Life could never be the same because we've heard the gospel, we've heard the law, and we have to confess that life is over as we know it. That's what's pictured in these kind of funeral-like things. Now, listen. There's, there's two kinds. There's two kinds of things. There's, there's progressive things. You know, like I'm progressing. I'm adding from. I'm, I'm adding. I'm moving out of my house, and now I'm adding a wife to me as I move out of my house. And now I'm progressing to add kids. And, and, and it's kind of like this pro- process of adding things to us. And then there's things like hurricanes. You know what happens when a, when a real hurricane comes? What happens? What happens in Miami? It just stops. Life stops. And so when the gospel, beloved, is really, really hitting us, It's not an add-on to you. Your life is catastrophe over. You're done. You're finished. Jesus is not adding something to you. He is wiping you out. He is crucifying you, burying you, and raising you. Life over. Finished. He's bringing you out of the old creation into the new creation, into the first Adam to the last Adam. He's taking you out of the dominion and domain of darkness to the domain of lights. He is breaking the chains of sin and the devil and giving you freedom. Life is over as you know it if you get the gospel. He is taking your heart of stone that does not respond. He's ripping it out by the Spirit of God and giving you a heart of flesh. He is moving you away from his holy hatred to his eternal love. Beloved, the, go- the gospel, when it really hits a people, it's a life-ending catastrophe. It's not something predictable. It's not an add-on. I know one time, um, I had a friend of mine who left for a year. I think he listens to our sermons in LA. It's, it's Josh. Joshua. Give him a shout out if he, if he's listening today or later. And he left for a year and he came back. And when he came back, I had got converted and he talked to me for five minutes and you know what he said? (laughs) Dude, you're gone. Like Aldo's gone. Like that's that's what the gospel does, beloved. You done, finished, kaput, over. Not Jesus is now piggyback you and you moving along with Jesus as your piggyback. You are catastrophically over. You say, why, why don't we see that more often? You know why? Because we're preaching a moralistic, self help, puny gospel that makes Jesus an add on to really good people who want to get better. Therefore, we don't see this we've reduced conversion to be emotional songs and tunes to a superstitious prayer raising your hands and not a catastrophe of encountering a holy god who slaughters us in christ and raises us by the power of grace that's why we don't see it beloved but don't not get it twisted. When you encounter the true gospel, it's a life-ending catastrophe. Life as we know it stops. And a new life in Christ begins. So here's the third thing that I see. What happens when the gospel is really going out? We see renouncement, not righteousness. Renouncing something, not just a bunch of people trying to do rights. Listen, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, He got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He then issued a decree in Nineveh by the order of the king and his nobles. No man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. So what is happening? This guy's like, I'm getting off my throne because I renounce my throne. And not only that, I'm taking off my robe because I'm renouncing everything about me. And I'm sitting in ashes to basically say that everything about me is wrong. So he renounces himself. He doesn't say, you know what? I think God's really mad at me. Let me go and kind of do some nice things to the poor in Nineveh. Let me go be better now. No, he basically renounces himself and takes off his crown, takes off his robes, and sits in ashes and says, God, have mercy on me. I could do nothing but renounce myself before you. Now listen, there's, there's, there's a way that sometimes husbands respond to their wives when they sin against them and it's like this we did something really bad and so we try to do a lot of good things to make up for it doesn't that make you mad ladies what you want is a confession right correct you want a confession, I'm sorry, I wronged you. You don't want them to go around and now do nice things to placate you. Beloved, that's what we do when we really get the gospel. We don't say, man, I gotta do better I have to change. We say, there is nothing that I could ever do. Nothing that I could ever accomplish. No amount of changes and do good. And God have mercy on me. I throw myself on your grace and I say, I am revolting in your sight. I can do nothing but beg you for mercy and grace. I cannot make it right by being better. That's what it means when the gospel hits us. It's not you coming up to God and being like, how can I now live worthy of heaven? It's you realizing that everything about you could only be worthy of hell. And you stop and you say, God, I renounce me and I receive you. Beloved, repentance is not you turning from bad behavior to good behavior. Repentance is you turning from self to God. And not some of you, but all of you, so turning away from all of you and all to God, beloved. We stop dead in our tracks and we just say, I, I renounce, I'm sorry, God. Remember, remember like uh, Luke 18, there's two guys in the temple. Remember one guy, he's basically like, oh, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing that for you. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing that for you and the other guy is doing what he, he the, the word have mercy in greek is make propitiation towards me so the guy that was worshiping god was a guy who was in god's temple not saying god let me make it right let me kind of add to the me testimony it's the guy who's saying god Have mercy on me and satisfy your wrath by a sacrifice. That is how we know we're getting the gospel. When we stop trying to impress God with our Christianity and we stop dead in our tracks and we say, God, I renounce me and I hide in Christ. Make sense? It's not us trying to make him happy by do-gooding. It's us stopping dead in our tracks, turning away from ourselves, and turning to God. So it looks like renouncing... Not us trying to make it right. Now, you do act right afterwards, but you act, you act right afterwards after you realize none of your rightness afterwards matters before God positionally. Make sense? Am I talking like uh, in riddles here? <laughs> All right, fourth thing. I only have six things to say. What does it look like to be revived in the gospel? It looks like a comprehensive response, not just a celestial response. Celestial is heaven. I wanted two C's in my point, so I said celestial. Okay, so it's a comprehensive response, not just a heavenly reality. Look what happens. So when these men believe the gospel, or they're, under, they're, they're pointing to the gospel in a very summary word, it basically says this guy's job was affected. He's, his relationship with other people, he's like, oh, y'all got to repent too. And then on top of that, their, their economy is affected Everything from the top down gets affected by that, what they heard. You see? It wasn't like, oh man, like, I I know that God's gonna judge us eternally, so now I need to kind of respond to God in that sense. But everything on, everything in society, every place changes because they hear about this word from Jonah. Let me give you a picture that may be helpful. it is a uh, what happens when you have kids when you have kids everything changes correct everything everything your house is now your house is now changed by having kids your car now you have these ridiculous plastic huge seats in your car that no one can sit in the back anymore your vacations change you can't go to the beach no more you got to go to legoland right you gotta go to legoland you know and, you know, and how you spend money changes, your groceries change, you have every single aspect of your life. Your TV changes. Now you have to watch, you know, these shows all the time. And, and you know, you nothing, nothing, nothing is not touched by that person in your life. There's no there's no there's no compartmentalizing. You know what I'm saying? Even your house and how it looks is hijacked by kids they own y'all. Beloved, when you are really getting the gospel, everything about you gets hijacked by the gospel. Oh, hallelujah. Food is not just about empty stomachs, it's about gratitude and worship. I mean, uh, parenting is not just about keeping your kids from getting killed and taken to school. Parenting is about trusting Jesus with these little you's in the house. It's different now. Beloved, marriage is different. Marriage is not about you finding someone to make you happy. Wives. Men, it's about you finding holy joy with your spouse as you trust the gospel with your spouse. It's about God. It touches your marriage. Your job is not about just moving forward in life. Your job now, because you're seated in Christ and you have arrived, your job is now to honor God in your job. Everything changes, beloved. Your tongue is not a weapon to tear people down and defend yourself and brag about yourself. Your tongue now is touched by the gospel to be a confessor of God's grace in Christ. Your sexual behaviors are now claimed by the gospel. Listen. Jesus did not just die for you to go to heaven someday. He died so you would stop using people for your perversions and you would be so loved by God that you would be pure in your body. He died for all of our lives, beloved. Our mind now is captivated by the gospel and my thoughts now are being touched by the gospel. My emotions now. My emotions are not my God that guide me, but my emotions are driven by the affections and emotions of Christ on the cross. Your body belongs to God through the gospel, which means it's not a circus to do what you want with it. It is his temple to worship God with it. Your relationships, your mind, your thoughts, everything, everything, everything is now touched by the gospel beloved jesus is not a key to one room in your house he is the master key to every single room and there's nothing roped off you know like you go to some some houses they rope some things off you there's nothing in your life that has been roped off from the gospel he claims all of you with his grace all of you all the time So it is a comprehensive reality, not just some heavenly reality. I have three more things to say. Let me see where I'm at with time. 21 minutes. All right, let's go. It looks like us being specifically specifically responsive, not generically responsive. Specifically responsive, not generically responsive. So listen, it says, each man must turn from the violence he is committing. Now, what were you Bible nerdy people, what what were the Ninevites known for? Violence. So notice when they repent, they don't just repent as general sinners. They repent of their cup of tea. You see? And so when, when the gospel is truly reviving you, beloved, your cup of tea is affected by the gospel. So let me give you an example. For me, I am an angry, violent person. And what the gospel did when I, when I experienced it, it cleansed my conscience, forgave me of my anger and violence, and it freed me to be different. To the person who struggles with homosexuality, the gospel cleanses your conscience and forgives you of that sin, not just general sins, and it frees you to live in the gospel. To the drunkard, to the addict, to the woman who is addicted to men, the gospel comes and it cleanses the conscience, forgives you before God, and frees you to experience freedom there. To the compulsive liar. Some of y'all are liars. The gospel cleanses your conscience and frees you to be truthful. To the angry, critical, bitter, manipulative wife, the gospel cleans your conscience, forgives you of your sins, and frees you to be a woman who is different. To the control freak and perfectionist who you think all of your controlling and perfectionism you're going to define yourself the gospel cleanses your conscience of that particular idolatry and frees you to be different to the guy who has a foul mouth you think you're so macho because you're foul mouth the gospel cleanses your conscience and frees you to use your mouth for the glory of God Beloved, we have a specific gospel for specific depravity that specifically touches us where we specifically jacked up. Not this generic gospel for generic sins and sinners. That is not gospel revival. To the passive people pleaser who thinks that making everyone happy is going to identify them. The gospel cleanses your conscience, forgives you, and frees you to be different. To so the porn addict. Don't 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 don't, don't, don't act like don't don't, don't 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 take Jesus out of that 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 depravity. Bring him in. Bring him in and say, I am a perverse man. I use women. Jesus, you are sufficient. I am specifically confessing that, and I'm hiding in your grace as I struggle. Be a specific sinner, beloved. Not a generic one. We, we we just, you know, a lot of times you find these people, and they're like, yeah, I'm totally depraved, yeah, dead in sins. I'm like, yeah, man, you know what? You're pretty disrespectful to your wife. What? What? Didn't you just say you're depraved? I'm just... I'm just making a connection for you. What? What are you talking about? Uh, did, did, you, did you mean what you just said? But remember Zacchaeus? What happened to Zacchaeus when Jesus invites him into his own grace? What happens? Does he say, oh, you know, I'm a general sinner about general sins? No, he says, man, my tax-collecting pimpery needs to be stopped by the gospel. Right there where he acts it out. Grace invades. Forgiveness comes and freedom arrives. we specific, not generic. I have two more things. What happens when true gospel revival happens? Sincerity, not Santa Claus. Sincerity, not Santa Claus. By the way, if anyone thinks I'm picking on you, I said so many different things that you could never think that. <laughs> is he talking about me i'm talking about y'all and me everybody sincerity not santa claus look look at look at look at the end of i say who knows god may turn and relent. he may turn from his burning anger so we will not perish did you hear what they just said We're going to repent and confess God, and God may still destroy the town. It wasn't like, we're going to trust you, Lord, and you're going to make sure that Nineveh is okay, right? No. No. They say, we are going to turn to God, though nothing good happens in Nineveh, because God is worthy. That's revival, beloved. Revival is I'm going to turn to God whether my family and my marriage never changes because Jesus, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy of my repentance and faith. I will confess the king whether I live in my mom's house with a broke job because Jesus is worthy. I am going to trust and love God and live unto him whether my body is falling apart and never changes. Whether my anxiety haunts me because he is worthy. That's a biblical repentant people. Not, all right, God. I'll come over here if you do right by me. No, 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 we're just, God. God. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care. God, you died. The son of God died. And he is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all allegiance. And so I am going to turn unto you, even though nothing good ever happens to me again. Beloved, that's when we're getting the gospel. Not, okay, God, I'm trusting you, right? Are you happy? You happy now? We get so overwhelmed. We get so overwhelmed with the lamb that we just say, God, I'm turning to you, though nothing changes. It becomes not a Santa Claus thing, but a sincere thing. Here's the last thing. Redemption, not just simply reformation. Redemption. It's funny, like, I feel like I'm screaming more than I normally would, and it's hotter. You would have thought I would have, like, whatever. I would have been, like, more toned down when it's hotter. I might. I just feel like I'm in the gym right now. Redemption, not simply reformation. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he threatened to do to them, and he did not... Do it. Listen, their repentance was about a God issue, a salvation issue. It was not about on-the-ground issues. You see, the conversation about the repentance is all this. Now, I think, have you heard the Christian testimony a lot of times? When they talk about their salvation, you say, well, you know, I was a gangbanger. Now I'm a pastor. You know, I was a drunkard. And now I'm sober. You know, I was a womanizer, and now I'm a deacon. Deacon of the year. Beloved, do you know that Mormons can say the same thing? I, I can find you some Muslims that go say the same thing. And I remember when I got saved, my friends were like that. They're like, man, Aldo, man, like, I get this Christianity thing, man. Like, like you don't curse like you did before. Like, you're not, you're not like, you're not like looking for a dude to fight every day. You know, like, you're married and you got one girl, you know? Like, you're not like, downing forties, like, every night, like, like, like a champ. Man, this Jesus, thing. I said, y- y'all don't get it, yo. I was dead. Dead. And a corpse. And the gospel revived me to life. You think it's just about beer? And my, and, and my hands, well, yeah, it, it affects that. But man, I was on my way to eternal damnation and judgment. And the king died my judgment and took my damnation. And he gave me credit for his perfect life. And I am pardoned in the king's lap, y'all. I was enslaved to the devil. And now the gospel has broken and step on his head i am free do you think this is just about me issues changing no beloved our biggest problem is god your biggest problem is god not your issues and so your biggest solution is god not your issues and so the way these men respond and the way it's commented they're like, man, we had a bigger problem than being violent. Our problem is that we were on God's death row, and Jesus is the substitute that was announced. So we become about the biggest, highest things, not just reforming our behavior. And actually, our behavior does become reformed, but that's not the point. The point is, oh, I'm a good person. No, you're alive now. <laughs> you're recreated now, so yeah, you're a better person. But 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 it's 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 these are the fruits and outcomes of resurrection, not just I'm a better person. Um, so look, let me just give some application. If here in the gospel truly leads to faith upward, not inward. We should be more like a kid looking at his parents in a room and less like an adult going into a job interview. So parents, kids are always looking at the parents, you know, like they're always, you know, aware of the parents when they're really little. A, an adult going to a job interview, they're, they're really, you know. But listen, let, let me give you a, 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 a physical, like a, a, a real time. This, this, this is how it looks like for you to trust Jesus. Not not this. You see? To to be a Christian is to look away from yourself to God, not look at yourself all the time. Let me look at myself and look to God sometimes. Don't let me look at God and look at myself sometimes. That is what faith is about. It is looking away from ourselves. And it's not believing in how you believe, beloved. Some of y'all talk about your faith more when you talk about the God that you trust. And you're looking at the power of your faith. You're almost like, I, I like this picture, man. Look, when you, go to a, when you go to get operated on, you don't have to be really big trusting. You just have to have the right person operating on you for it to work well, right? Whether you trust them a lot or trust them a little. Because it's more important who's working on you than how you're looking at the one who's working on you. Make, make sense? So we look away from ourselves to God. If hearing the true gospel leads to catastrophe, not predictability, then we should we should be seeing every day like a total makeover. Let me give you an explanation. Um, my wife and Tanya's like that too. They're always rearranging the whole stinking house. It's like... You know, why don't you just move this, move that? Like, no, they rearranged the whole house. Beloved, I think our problem is that we approach every day like the one who just wants to make some add-ons and and change a little. No, every day, beloved, you should experience a gospel catastrophe where everything is rearranged. You understand what I'm saying? Like, God needs to totally rearrange the way I look at my wife Today! God needs to bring a catastrophe, and how I use my mouth and how I work today. We are regularly experiencing this wonderful catastrophe. We're not just, well, you know what? The room has been really nice. Let me just put a flower on my life, put a little picture on the wall. No, turn it over upside down every day. That's what it means to understand what I'm saying. I'm waking up tomorrow, not thinking, well, I've. I've you know, I just gotta add one more thing to my passion. No! God is going to have to bring a catastrophe in Jesus again and rearrange me! Beloved, the, the God, the dance of Christianity is death and resurrection every day of your life. Over and over again experiencing that. It's this total makeover. So you know what? When God is doing these things in your life, don't, don't, don't bite Him. Right? God, God is, God is trashing your life. He's, he's bringing all this turnover in your life, and you biting him while he's doing it. Now you know what's up, right? He's about that. He's about turning everything over and bringing it together in Jesus. Beloved, if the true gospel leads to renouncement, not righteousness, then we should be prosecutors of ourselves, not defense attorneys. You know what, you guys? You know what you are? You know what I am? We are defense attorneys, Right? Take the stand and defense. But, beloved, what we see here is that you are your own prosecutor. You are confessing yourself as the guilty person. That's what a Christian is. You are your own prosecutor, not your own defense attorney. Can I get an amen? amen. And an ouch. Ouch, right? Some of y'all ouching. Ouch, ouch and Amen. And you know what? We need, we need to help other people prosecute us. We should be notorious for confessing our sins, not notorious for having a really gangster and an eloquent defense argument for everything. Yeah, me and my wife, we get good at defense attorney stuff. Like, man, we, we, we have all this evidence, but you know what? We're, we're both missing the point. We live a life of confession, not self-defense if the true gospel leads to comprehensive, not just heavenly things, beloved, you remember the, remember, remember the movie, uh, My, My Big Fat Greet Wedding? <laughs> remember, like, it was like Windex for everything? Windex! Windex! Beloved, you know what your Windex is? It's the gospel. And it's a solution for every single crevice of your house. So your garage, that's your, that's your relationships with, with the church. That should be touched by the gospel. Your mind, your emotions, your will, your desires, that's your kitchen that should be touched by the gospel. You go to the backyard, that's your marriages, that, that that's your parenting, that should be infused by the gospel. And as you go to every single crevice, you see that there is no place roped off, beloved. Please, let me, I beg you, I love you. Stop roping off Jesus from the crevice of your life. Say, God. Every single molecule of me is game for the power of your grace to invade. I may not like it. I may buck at it. But I know that you are good and that this is good. Beloved, if the true gospel leads to specific, not general repentance, we should not be annual checkup Christians. You know what the annual checkup is? I'm just going for my general checkup, you know? No, you should go to the specialist where you got a a specific issue, beloved. I want to ask you, do you know your specific junk? And are you praying that the gospel touch your specific junk? And if you say, I don't know what it is, well, why don't you ask someone that's, that's around you a lot? I bet you they know. I need to know my specific depravity so that Jesus' specific grace can meet me there. Beloved, it's so, it's so sweet to let Jesus have his way or almost, I think a better way to say it is acknowledge that he has had his way. That's probably a better way to say it. In the places where I uniquely rebel against him. So we should be specific. Last thing, if the true gospel leads to sincerity, not Santa Claus, then we should be He already did, and that's enough for me, people. Not what will you do if I repent. Listen, you should be living a life unto God in a way that honors him no matter what will happen. Shouldn't be this, well, yeah, but, no, yes, yes, beloved. If your if, if if the thing in your home never changes, if your job situation never changes, if your weaknesses never change, you should be repenting and trusting Jesus simply because He's worthy of it, no matter what happens. Correct? There, one time, I was thinking about my me and my wife, and you know, like man, like how I act towards her. And I'm like, God, you know, like, I'm being a godly husband. uh, You know, what's up with her, you know? She's probably saying the same thing. And I feel like if God were to talk to me, what's up with her? My son, I have given you every reason already to live unto me. I need to do nothing else for you. If the son, if my son, being stretched out on a cross, experiencing your eternal judgment, irrespective of anything you contributed, and then seating you in his presence as a noble, royal king is not enough to motivate you, then you got to go back to the cross. And until you get that, you're not going to get anything else. He has done enough already for us to live our lives. Not, let me see. So let me pray and move us to the table. Heavenly Father, I feel that right now we need a reminder of your grace. Father, we, uh, as much as we can see true revival in our hearts with the gospel, we see a lot of resistance. So Father, I pray that your people would not silence the accusation of the law that they have heard today and that they would not, not silence and that they would also receive the voice of the gospel as they have heard your requirements throughout this. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconcile Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, ReconciledChurchMiami.org.